Before we get started, some exciting news from me. Money Clinic has won the People's Choice Gong at the Lovey Awards. Thank you so much to everyone who voted for us and to everyone who listens. Money Clinic wouldn't be the show it is without you. Follow me on social media at Claire B if you want to see some backstage action at the awards ceremony later. And if you have a burning question about money that you'd like us to tackle in our next season, DM me or email us money at ft.com. You know, you're neglecting your family and maybe you're not being as present as a parent as you might want to be. And they're not giving you any money for it. What's the point? Sometimes life can feel like a balancing act between the hours we spend working and the hours we have left for our personal lives. And when you're feeling perhaps that balancing act isn't paying off, how can you go about kicking up a fuss and getting a little more financial recognition? I need to stop being more of a dick. That's the thing, is to just be more, be more annoying. <laughs> That's one way to approach asking for a pay rise. There's more to work than the paycheck we receive at the end of the month. However, whether you like it or not, money plays a huge role in how we feel about the jobs that occupy such large chunks of our time. I think pay in our current society, like it or not, is a, essentially a form of recognition. So much of our worth is defined by what we do and if your current company is underpaying you significantly versus the market, then it feels like maybe they undervalue what you do. And unsurprisingly, being constantly undervalued can be really upsetting. It's demoralising. So demoralising. Um, sorry for getting upset. So when it's employers putting the price tag on what our work is worth, how can you go about asking for more? This week, Money Clinic is having a pay rise takeover. We'll be pulling apart that big scary box labelled asking for a pay rise and unpacking the do's, the don'ts, the tips and tricks for finding out how much you should be paid and nudging your employer to cough up the cash. And funnily enough, now may be the perfect time to ask for a bit more financial recognition. This post-pandemic period of work has been dubbed the Great Resignation. One in four UK workers are looking to move jobs in the next couple of months, according to research by Randstad. So I'd wager it's the right time to start asking for a bit more. Visiting our PayRise clinic today are three Money Clinic listeners in three different PayRise predicaments. Natalie keeps getting knocked back when she asks for a rise. Max knows that he could get paid more elsewhere. And Charlotte is trying to negotiate a bonus that really matches the effort she puts in to her job. Here to offer expert advice, guidance and tips is the FT's resident workplace expert, Isabel Berwick. She's the work and careers editor and presenter of Working It, the new podcast from the Financial Times. She's joined by FT columnist Jonathan Black, director of the University of Oxford's career service and the brains behind our popular Dear Jonathan advice column. Well, pay is a really hot topic right now. Isabel, why do you think that is? I think lots of reasons. Some of them are pandemic related. It has suddenly shifted in favour of the person asking for a pay rise in many cases. And I think that has got people's minds going. 
Well, I think the pandemic has driven a general feeling that employees want more openness with their managers and with their employers. So whether that's the discussion about working from home uh, and new ways of working, uh, whether it's the rise of the equality, diversity, inclusivity agenda, um, I think pay is sort of one of those last taboos, really. We are going to play you some clips now from our first guest, Natalie. Now, to be transparent, Natalie isn't her real name, and we've slightly distorted her voice to help protect her identity. But I caught her after one of her shifts at work last week. It's difficult, isn't it, pay rises, and how you approach your boss about it, I guess, because... Money is always a difficult subject to talk about just generally, but to ask for more of it is a challenge. Natalie is in her early 30s and working in the media industry, a kindred spirit, you could say. And she has her heart set on staying where she is. This is my dream job, you know, and I wake up every day loving going to work. And how many people can say that, that they love going into work every day without fail? She's been with the same employer since she graduated from university. I came out of university. I was young and naive. I took what they offered me because I wanted to get into what I'm doing. And as much as I love it, I feel like from my starting salary, it hasn't increased. (laughs) Natalie is earning just under 26,000 a year, just a few thousand more than when she started out nearly eight years ago which doesn't amount to much when you take into consideration the increasing cost of living. I've had a token gesture of a pay rise, but of course I have asked for pay rises since then and always been unsuccessful for one reason or another. The first time she asked for a pay rise a few years back, the answer was no. I was told, well, other people with more responsibilities are on less than you. Then earlier this year, Natalie got a pretty strong hunch than a male colleague at the same level as her was being paid considerably more, despite the fact that she is a high achiever in her role. So with this in mind, Natalie felt empowered to ask again. So during the summer, I asked and explained why I felt that I deserved a pay rise. In what way did you feel that you deserved one? I think the thing is that I am the person that will just go out and get stuff. So I will put myself forward for everything and anything. I take on a lot of responsibilities. I take on a lot of projects. I actually find management coming to me to deliver these projects. So I must be good enough in some aspects for them to come to me rather than another colleague. So I do feel justified in asking. But after she explained all of this to her manager... Unfortunately, I didn't hear anything back. And I now feel embarrassed. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. To ask again to find out where we're at with this. How does it make you feel, Natalie, to have asked so many times for a pay rise and to just have no response back? It's demoralising. So demoralising. Um... Sorry for getting upset. I think it's, um, I, I, I think the thing is, I've been with the company for so many years and, um, you know, you hear from the managers, oh, we can always rely on you. And that's so nice to hear. But to not see the monetary side of it, and, and life isn't all about money, of course it's not, but you go into work on those days and you think, why am I putting in all of these hours? Why am I doing this extra stuff? Why am I running myself ragged why am i giving up my personal life for this well natalie hopefully our experts will be able to offer you some guidance what would you like to ask them i think first of all how do i get what i want i guess ultimately you know is there a way of wording why i think i deserve that i guess also what happens if you get knocked back a second time and you don't get that desired outcome are there ways to deal with that? What, what can I do? So, what do Isabel and Jonathan make of Natalie's situation? Some really emotional stuff from Natalie there. Oh, I just think you can really hear it in her voice, how undervalued she feels at work. I mean, it's such an emotional topic. Why is it so emotional for us to talk about money? Because it's so bound up with our sense of self-worth. You know, we are literally having a value put on us by our employers and she doesn't feel valued in a monetary way. I was quite struck by how grateful she was to hear them say, oh, we can always rely on you. You know, words are very cheap. So how would you recommend that Natalie goes about negotiating higher pay? How would you approach that conversation? I think Natalie can invent some dates to say, well, I've been here three years exactly, or seven years exactly, you know, next on the, the 1st of December. Let's, let's use that as a chance to catch up. But then at the beginning of any negotiation that she should start, I would be focusing on the non-salary items that she would find useful before you then move on to the number as well. So there might be some other things, but it might be training courses, it might be opportunities to work abroad, it might be freelancing. And then I'd be trying to set some measures. If I achieve this, then what's going to happen? It is very sensitive and one can get very emotional about asking for these things. So one somehow has to take the emotion out of the discussion. One of the phrases you can use without saying no is, I'm sorry, but that doesn't work for me. And then shut up and see what they say. Well, my favourite phrase is, how much do you think would be an appropriate rise? In an organisation like this, where there are not many pay rises, you don't give the option of not giving you a pay rise. What struck me in this clip was the word deserved. I deserve a pay rise. That's a red flag word. It's what Jonathan's saying, take the emotion out of it. I deserve is not something that a manager wants to hear. They want to see the data. Is there some external measure she could use? And also, she's being asked to take on more and more extra projects. So her management are rewarding her with more things to do rather than more money in her bank account. Well, quite. And 
And it is a natural thing to do at the beginning of a career is to act, you know, like a dog, which is to say, oh, yes. So you throw the stick and the dog goes and gets it. And you throw a bigger stick and the dog still goes and gets it. She needs to be a bit more cat-like, where you throw the stick and the cat's not interested. And the cat says, well, yeah, I'd love to work on that. Pulls out their diary and says, hmm, I could probably do about 20% of it by Thursday fortnight. Would that work? Does Natalie need to go in with a job offer for leverage? Well, this is a, a quite a high-risk route. Well, she says she loves the job. Which aspects of the job does she actually love? I'd step back and say, can you not replicate those somewhere else? I think it would be worth getting out there and just having a few conversations with people at other organisations or doing it a bit quietly so that you're not rocking the boat. And I do think she needs to find out what her peers are earning. There's things like Glassdoor, but honestly, in a small organisation... Go to the pub, have a drink. Now we can meet people in real life. Ask people. I tell people what I earn if they ask me. I think it's a really important tool. And how do you deal with the rejection of having already been told no? I think if we turn this on its head, we should eliminate the fear of being told no. And we should embrace no. Because what they can do by saying, oh, yes, 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 we'll get to that. And then nothing happens. It's a sort of counterfeit yes. But if someone says no, that's really, really helpful because A, they've engaged and B, you can say, right, why no? And it's a way to start uncovering the issue. So no is your friend. It is not your enemy. My second guest in the Payrise Clinic was understandably also keen to remain anonymous. I'm going by the name of Max. I'm 27 and I work in the renewable energy industry and have done for the past three years. And I've never asked for a pay rise before, so I'm wondering how I might go about doing that. Max got into the energy industry straight out of uni, switching from oil and gas to renewables about three years ago. I'm at the point now where I look around in the team and I think I can do a, you know, a really good job at what I do. I'm no longer the junior and I think that there's always a risk when you move internally that your pay is kind of from that point onwards determined by what it was when you started. So if you started at a very low pay grade, you'll get a small pay increase each year. But potentially if you moved externally, maybe there'd be a sort of step change where they'd, they'd sort of reassess at what you're worth today as of the current market. And what about that current market? The renewable energy sector right now is pretty hot. I get a huge amount of messages from recruiters through LinkedIn almost on a weekly basis. We'll have different messages, either advertising for exactly the job that I'm in now, working for a competitor, or doing something broadly similar in the renewables industry. Max is on 60000 a year in his current role. However, some recruiters he has spoken to have offered him as high as 100000 a year. Pay is something that I've always just found slightly awkward talking about. It's been the sort of thing that when I've received pay increases or bonuses or whatever in the past and, and they haven't been as much as I've expected, rather than making a song and dance of it, I've sort of said, oh, that's fine, whatever, I'll live with it. Even though there may be much higher salaries out there with rival employers, Max is happy in his current workplace. So how can Jonathan and Isabel help? So I guess the first question would be, Speaking to these recruiters through LinkedIn, how can I actually use that and go about getting an accurate benchmark of what I could be paid elsewhere? And I think the final thing would be, as somebody who's never asked for a pay rise, how do I go about bringing it up 
in a constructive manner that hopefully doesn't damage the relationship with my boss as it is, but makes it clear that it's something that's important to me and that that sort of recognition goes a long way. So what do our experts have to say about Max's predicament? So what I've circled here is awkward. I find it awkward asking for pay rises. I think there'll be an open door when Max goes in for a pay rise. And I think what's holding him back is his own worry. We published an article this weekend by a behavioural psychologist which used the acronym FOBSAG, fear of being seen as greedy. And we have to keep that in our minds and eliminate it. But also perhaps the fear of being told no. But I think there's a psychological barrier here for him rather than a real barrier. And if he can address that, get some real data on what other companies are paying in terms of salary... I think at this moment in that industry, I would be amazed if there wasn't something on the table for him. He asked, how should he do it without damaging the relationship? Well, in a way, I could argue the relationship's a bit damaged at the moment because management are not treating him properly. So I would have a script. I would go in a sheet of paper that you can put on the table between you. I would include in there opportunities that are non-pay based, like progression and responsibility and qualification and so on. And then lastly, pick a range. And I would definitely set the outer boundaries. So I'd be saying something like, for him, I've looked on LinkedIn, and I'm seeing salaries out there, say 95 to 127, some sort of non round number, where you would be quite happy with the bottom of it. Now, do you think that he should be honest with them and say, well, I am being approached by headhunters on LinkedIn every week. I don't think you even need to. I think they'll know that. You want to avoid this being adversarial and a threat. That's quite an aggressive sort of thing to be saying. It sounds like he's someone who's starting out in his career, is doing well. Has he got a mentor? Is there someone senior in the company who could advocate for him for a pay rise or perhaps have a preliminary chat with that person to make it less adversarial, to make him feel more comfortable in terms of what he could ask for and how? Because, you know, having someone higher up the company who's your ally is an incredibly potent tool. Mm. Now, Max was unsure if these kind of offers that he's getting over LinkedIn, are they a really accurate idea of what salaries are elsewhere? Now, without actually applying for one of these jobs and going through to interview stage, how can people find out what salaries are on offer elsewhere? It's quite hard, but... I think if he's going to conferences, if he's got a network of people in his industry, once you get to know people, you might be able to start asking, what are the ballpark salaries? What has Max got to lose at this point? And he might help someone else and make better contacts. My third and final guest in the waiting room for the Payrise Clinic is Charlotte. And, you guessed it, that's not her real name. She's also using an alias to protect her identity. So a little bit about myself. I'm in my mid-30s. Um, I've got a young family, under five, and I'm married. I work in a big FTSE 100 company. I've been there for about two and a half years. One of her first experiences of asking for a pay rise was when Charlotte was in her mid-twenties. She'd been out for drinks with a male colleague at the same level as her, and they'd discussed pay. They decided they'd both go in and ask for a higher rate at around the same time. I knew that I'd been tagged as a high performer. I was on a sort of high performer programme and he wasn't. And yet, when we asked for the pay rise, I was told that I was too pushy and he didn't get any negative feedback. Charlotte's been working in big businesses and consultancies for the past 15 years. 
She's had a couple of other pay rises over the course of her career, but has always encountered the same thing. She gets put on lists of high performers, yet finds she receives the same pay as everybody else. I felt like, well, what's the point of being a high performer if there's no different treatment and there's no recognition of that? Now, in her current job, Charlotte's in a similar situation. She's earning roughly 100000 a year with an annual performance-related bonus. In a good year, this could be higher than 20%. I'm on a leadership programme for the top 2%, which means that they see you as a future senior leader, and there's only 100 of those in the firm. But when the bonuses came out, I received exactly the same percentage as everyone else on the team. I mean, how does it feel to be receiving the feedback on the one hand that they think you're doing a great job, but then not getting the financial recognition? Um, it feels... <laughs> I get emotional. Um, it's frustrating, I think, on two counts. I think, firstly, I feel I, I owe it to my family and the life that I want to, to lead with them to be fairly compensated. And then on a personal level, it's frustrating. And then it does feel, you know, when I've pushed for it, and it's either, oh, you're too pushy, let us do it, or you're selfish, because if you get more, someone else gets less. I don't think that's very fair either. And I start to feel like, should I just stop trying? Then what's the point? I mean, pay is a very emotional topic. And it's certainly something that has really troubled me in previous jobs. But how much is this affecting you? Like, is this something that is troubling you every day or, you know, starting to cloud your feelings as soon as you walk into the office? Do you know, what? I think the biggest friction is actually at home because, you know, like last night I was on calls till six. I had a 15 minute dinner with my family. I did bath and bedtime and then I was back on my laptop at seven o'clock. And my partner sort of looks at me if I get into bed then at 10 and I've not spoken to them all evening and we've not had any time together. And it's like, what? why bother? Why are you doing it? And it, it's hard to defend investing that time and delivering if it's not compensated. And so I think it, it does create, yeah, I'd say a fairly daily tension. So how can Isabel and Jonathan help her on the road to alleviating this daily tension? What would she like to know? How do I engage with HR to get them on side and help and support me in those conversations? And I think my main question is, how can I prepare myself to walk into a pay review at a big company where it tends to be presented as a very foregone conclusion? What's the right way to probe in that meeting? And how do I do that in a way that doesn't mean I just get told I'm too pushy or, you know, encounter some of that really gendered language? And then in the room, you know, how do I sit with the discomfort and I guess fight my corner, really, uh, in an effective way? I don't feel I'm, I've ever been able to do that very effectively. By now, you know the drill. Let's hear what our experts have to say. Having heard Charlotte there, would you say that she sounds like a pushy person? <laughs> Not at all. My God, my heart goes out to her about 
all of this because she's being pulled in both directions at home where she feels she's seriously letting the side down and at work where she's being bullied, really, uh, with, with appalling sexist comments. I think Jonathan put it there very succinctly, bullying. This sounds like a very outdated workplace. I mean, I think Charlotte earns enough and is senior enough to award herself a coach. I think it would pay her to prepare professionally with someone to approach HR and also to approach someone for a pay rise. She should invest in herself. I really think that. I don't think she should be left to do this on her own. And it sounds like she's getting no support at work. And it may be that this company is not for her. But if she gets some coaching and support, I am sure it will benefit her in the long term. I think one of the things I'd be doing if I were her is trying to sort out home first. She talked about owing it to the family. Well, just check that the family wants it before we give yourself that guilt. She's got this double burden because she has got small children as well as doing this enormous job. I mean, if, the, if she's not getting this recognition from the company, she could do less. Could she go to a four-day week and carve out some space for herself and also perhaps to think about her future if it's not with that company? Is there a different direction? I'm not sure you could go to four days unless it's the sort of job where you really, really can switch off on that Monday or Friday, whichever day it is you take. However, I do agree. I think it's that. It's getting control of your agenda and saying, I'm not going to work after six o'clock every night. Now, let's discuss that very gendered language Charlotte was facing. What would be your advice on how to deal with that? Diffusing it with humour is always a good start. And then calling it out or the, you know, you wouldn't say that to this, this sort of group of people. My instant reaction was, oh, you're too pushy, is to say, well, would you say that to a man? Now, that's quite an aggressive thing to say, but it does bring people up short. I hope she's writing these things down. Uh, even if she never comes to use them, it can be cathartic to write them down and it will perform a record of what's happened. What about going to human resources? Could they help her? I think that is a mistake to think HR is going to help you at all. HR works for the company. They do not work for the individual. Um, if they do, you're really lucky. But I don't assume you'll get any help from them. I mean, I, I slightly disagree, Jonathan, with your view on who HR are for. I think that they should be for employees, but I often think there's a lot of nervousness from people in approaching HR because it is quite a high-stakes thing to do. It is, and I, I, it strikes me that Charlotte doesn't want to go in all guns blazing. She wants to preserve her job. You know, it's her family's livelihood. She sounds to me as someone who might be at risk of burnout. So that might be an angle to think about first. Having more money is not going to help the perfect point that Isabel's just brought up. It is about reducing the amount of work or reducing the, the expectation there. But I think a script also helps, or just one sheet of paper to say, this is what's going to work for me, this range of salary, plus these other things, let's have a conversation. I may be biased, because obviously I love our listeners, but I would say, if you look back over our three case studies who've bravely bared their souls and agreed to come on this episode, the thing that strikes me the most about all of them is that they're all really nice does being nice make it easier for bosses to trample all over us when it comes to pay? Uh, I think the question behind the question is, do you have to be nasty or bullish or aggressive or something? And you can't be what you're not. If you're not by nature a nasty or aggressive or 
pushy sort of person, then don't try to be because it'll come over as false. So you can stay nice, but I think with all of them, we've said try to take the emotion out of this by having your facts, by never saying no, but saying things like that that's not going to work, I'm afraid. I don't think you can be too nice at work. I do think it's not true that nice guys finish last. I think workplaces are changing. And I exactly as Johnson says, be yourself. But you, you can be your best self in terms of asking for a pay rise. So take the emotion out of it. Now that Natalie, Max and Charlotte are armed with the experts' advice, we can't wait to hear if their pay negotiations are successful. We'll catch up with them next year. And if you're preparing to ask for a pay rise of your own, I hope Isabel and Jonathan's words will prove to be very valuable indeed. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and indeed for our current series. Listen out for some special one-off episodes around Christmas before we return with season three next year. But for now, I throw it open to you. What burning money issues would you like us to discuss on the podcast in 2022? Get in touch with your thoughts. Our email address is money at ft.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Want to hear more from Isabel? Subscribe to the FT's new podcast, Working It, to hear all about how we're now doing work differently. Money Clinic was produced by Persis Love. Our assistant producer is Talia Augustidis. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clint podcast is a general discussion about financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.